We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, join our Facebook group at Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can also follow me on Twitter at LJ Hybe. This week's guest is Brian Weaver. Brian serves as CEO of Torch.ai and has more than 20 years of experience leading mission-driven, high-growth, technology-focused companies. Torch.ai helps leading organizations leverage artificial intelligence in a unique way via proprietary enterprise data management software solution. Today, Torch.ai supports clients like H&R Block with fraud detection and mitigation, and the U.S. Department of Defense with machine learning-enabled background investigations for all federal employees, supporting the determination of an individual's trustworthiness and security credentialing. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lori. I know that was a, a mouthful of a, of a bio that you had to read there. <laughs> it, it sure was. I, I stumbled a little bit, but hey, it's all about being authentic, right? It's a lot of big words. <laughs> makes you feel important. No, you did a great job. <laughs> Thanks. So um, I know you've started a couple of companies here. So how did you end up starting your first company? Yeah. Actually, that is a, a pretty funny story, especially uh, with your audience, though. I think, anyway, they would appreciate this. So, that, so I was sort of the serial entrepreneur, even as an employee. Um, I got out of college, and I conned this guy into hiring me. Uh, no experience. I was, I think, the youngest employee that they had hired a, a, a company called the Kansas City Star, which was a newspaper, but it was owned by ABC Cap Cities at the time. And so it was kind of really interesting uh, interesting business that ultimately ended up, um, being part of uh, the whole Disney franchise while I was still an employee there. But I always tried to, you know, I, there was kind of the normal day job and, and I've always considered myself someone that, that really enjoyed working with others and, and trying to solve problems for others and, and, you know, in a business development or sales capacity as a, you know, 21 year old kid. But I always had kind of this curiosity and this, you know, a bit of a creative spark. Um, and, and that's really what sort of defines my personality in a lot of ways. But um, I tried to start like two little innovations inside that business. I wrote a soft, my very first software program that I ever wrote, I wrote for that company. Um, and I was kind of a frustrated entrepreneur working for, you know, an organization like that. I did pretty well and moved up and, you know, didn't mind some of the political wrangling. Again, I was still early 20s. So, um, a little naive maybe to how the whole, the whole world works, but, uh, that was kind of me. And so I then, uh, left that job and actually followed the guy that had hired me, uh, right out of college. And I began, I, I, I was a manager over a whole group of people that was, you know, kind of all over the Midwest and the mountains and Texas and all this other stuff. And I was a, a you know, 24 year old kid managing a bunch of 40 plus year old adults, with all their neuroses. And it was actually a hilarious, uh, experience for me, but the way my first business started, I actually got in trouble at that job. I, I, uh, NASCAR came to Kansas city, um, and sort of unbeknownst to me, everybody in town turned down this kind of a, a what had been a marketing project for them. And my boss was out of town and I had a little bit of authority. And so I said, yep, we'll do it. 
uh, we did it. It was a great project and it, it went very well. And I took the one thing they needed and I turned it into two or three other kind of add on things and it was pretty successful. But the uh, employer I had, which is a bunch of New York guys that, you know, flew down to Miami every Monday and left every Thursday, they didn't like the departure from the real mission of the business. I didn't see it as a departure. I thought it was, you know, kind of a good extension or, or even value add. Uh, but they disagreed and actually I got written up for it. And so that was like this punch in the gut. And I think that was this moment where, you know, I had to make a decision. Do I, you know, do I go my own way? I see opportunity that others don't see. Um, I became, you know, there was that emotional moment, a, a kind of a bit of a reset. And, uh, I remember I didn't cry physically, but I remember that feeling physically that way in this guy's room while he was, you know, he was uh, reprimanding me for, for making the company money and, but, but deviating from my job. And so I went, uh, actually to the guys, uh, the NASCAR guys that, uh, you know, had had the project. I tried to get them to hire me actually. And it, that didn't work out. They, they, uh, you know, becoming an employee of that organization was probably not the best thing for me or my family. And so I, I convinced them that, you know, no one else is going to do this work. The company I, that I was, my employer, you know, it was a one and done thing. They wanted nothing to do with it. Would you guys be willing to hire me? Um, and I'll start my own company and you can be customer number one. And they agreed. And, uh, it was kind of an interesting moment because, um, I, you know, I, I'm definitely self-made, right? I, I had a small house in a suburban part of Kansas city. And I went out and bought a computer on a credit card and I bought a phone system on a credit card and it was just me in a spare bedroom. Uh, and away I went and, uh, they became my first customer. And the scariest part of that little moment was that they didn't pay their bills on time. So we, I went through about a six month period of trying to scrape together money and, and, uh, dealing with, you know, the, the stress of, of cash flow and learning a lot of, you know, really hard lessons, uh, though I didn't have a lot of overhead at the time. Uh, and then really the punchline of that story is that three years later, I was uh, pretty successful in, in my first business venture and I was able to acquire, uh, the company that reprimanded me. So I, through a very interesting series of events, uh, my last employer was on the block and I called down to a, uh, an M and a advisor that was down in Orlando, Florida. And I said, Hey, I'd like to make a bid on this Miami based company. And, and, uh, it was a pretty aggressive bid and, and I knew the guy selling it and, and uh, I ended up winning the deal. So I acquired my, my last employer. And that was kind of one of those highlights. Um, but, you know, it, it sort of seems surreal today. But uh, that, was my, that was my first uh, my first go at being an entrepreneur. Wow. That story is just fascinating. My jaw has been dropped for like the last three yeah. minutes here. Like just punch after punch after punch of awesomeness happening. That's, and, and you had, what's great I love about this is you had, no plan to start your own company. It sounds like it just kind no, of like no business model, no, no <laughs> business plan, you know, no Ivy league professor whispering in my ear on here's how you do it. It's mm -hmm. just kind of grit and a little gumption, I think. And well, I love that you, you asked, you, you threw the question out there having no idea what you were doing and, and it happened. And wow, obviously it's been extremely successful journey. That's great. Yeah, it was funny. It was an actually interesting thing. So I, uh, that first step was kind of one deal and I, I couldn't survive on one sale. So I had to expand a little bit. Uh, and so I did that reasonably successfully because I, I knew some folks and, you know, um, that, that worked out pretty well. And, 
they hired me to do some kind of odd job kind of things like you normally would do to kind of fit the bill again, all in the same business. But, um, I, I, the one thing I am good at is, is, uh, being very focused on a mission or, and having a kind of a thematic approach to an, a business opportunity. So I, I capitalize on that, but the hardest part with the NASCAR thing and the thing that was kind of nuts was for two years, I went all over the country. What I did in Kansas city was phenomenally successful and I went all over the country saying, Hey, I can do this for you too. Every single track that was kind of, you know, interesting to me. And they all said, yeah, 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 we want it. We want it. But no one would sign a contract. And it was very frustrating. And I'd spent a lot of money and, and I was chasing the thing, trying to get bigger. And I was very enthusiastic and all bright eyed. Uh, and then I get a call from Daytona, Florida about two years into it. And this gentleman named Tom Picorni is still a great friend of mine today. Uh, he calls and says, all right, here's the deal we're putting this whole thing out for an RFP and you're either going to lose. And if you lose, you're going to lose to Turner, uh, Turner broadcasting who owned the internet rights to NASCAR, mm-hmm. um, or you're going to win. And if you win, you have to take everyone. And so I had this moment, uh, you know, kind of, you know, right at the gestation period where you're, you know, you, you sort of like, Hey, I kind of am a little comfortable. You put your family at risk and, and it's starting to pay off. And then all of a sudden your customer throws a a kind of a wrench in the works and the thing's gotten bigger and you've done a good job and they want to, you know, formalize it. And so I literally had to go to Kinko's and I spent, I remember about 75 bucks doing a spiral bound presentation, uh, Microsoft PowerPoint, all this stuff about why I was the best choice compared to, you know, this company owned by billionaire Ted Turner, uh, that was, you know, way more sophisticated and had way more capacity and capability. Um, but, but lo and behold, you know, about two months later I won and, and, you know, uh, the guys down in Daytona had awarded us the contract and we went from being small to being very large, very fast. Wow. Um, and it was that growth moment where you're like, you know, if you fail, you're going to lose kind of everything you have. Mm-hmm. And if you succeed, it's going to still be super hard because you're going to have to keep up with it. And you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to invest. It was like, there was no you know, you, you never took a moment to pat yourself on the back because you were, you had fear no matter which, which side of the coin you were on. Oh, I'm sure. And what's funny is now as a 46 year old, I've been on my own 21 years. And as a 46 year old, you realize really you have like the notion of everything to lose isn't real. It's just this, you know, this, this thing you build up in your head. I had nothing, I, there was nothing really to lose. Um, you know, there was no real risk, uh, you know, even as risky as that might seem up front. Um, so anyway, it, it's been, that, that was a good way for me in my formative years to sort of shape my attitudes and character and, you know, some of the, the culture that I enjoy today at, at companies like Torch. Yeah. Wow. That's such a great story on so many different levels. I, I can't imagine how you scale that large that quickly. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that yeah. blows my mind. I'm sure you learned Tons of lessons in, in these experiences. Tons of lessons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being <laughs> said, yeah, what isn't that the way we all learn the lessons? Um, yeah. What what has been uh, one of your biggest lessons that you've learned as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's it's sort of like a layer cake. Uh, you know, it's funny is I think one of these days, I, I, you know, I'm I'm still a young person, I think, and and uh, but one of these days I will write a book and there will be a chapter called "There Is No Brochure." I think uh, I think that the lessons that you learned, just as you said a minute ago, Lori, the the you have to learn them. You're doing yourself. This is like the the idea that you're going to absorb some wisdom from others. Man, that's so tough, especially for a creative person. Um, so I think you know the biggest thing would be uh, you know when you're when you're mixing people. So so in order to grow, 
and actually to, in order to build a, a, tr- a real business, not, I'm not talking about a lifestyle thing where you can pay your mortgage and go on vacation a couple times a year, but to build a real business that's financially viable, um, where you can, you can actually have resources and innovation as a function of the business and, and actually solve problems for, for big companies. Um, and even maybe even make a difference in your community, you know, you have to have a little bit of a different attitude because, um, it's this living, breathing thing. And you ultimately need to figure out very quickly, uh, how to put team, build teams. Um, and you might be as a business owner or an entrepreneur, you might be like the hero CEO type where you can, you've got a lot of charisma, you can make a sale and you can kind of keep the thing going. But the real measure of success is can you build an organization that is sort of independent from you and, and, and that uh, skill set or character trait. So can you figure out, you know, how to get human beings to work together, um, to be a bit autonomous, to have accountability, some authority, uh, and ownership of kind of their situation where, you know, they can add their own creativity and their own, a bit of their soul into kind of what you're doing. I think that's the magic. So the pitfalls there are making really bad decisions hiring. I, you know, I, it's easy to say, but man, I've hired a lot of bad people uh, and I've stuck people in jobs that, you know, really probably were not capable of having those jobs. Sometimes that works out, right? Because they're appreciative and they explore and they're committed and engaged, but sometimes it doesn't. I would say, you know, find if you aren't a good person, you, you're not a good interviewer, go find somebody that, can, that is and let them interview for you. You know, that's probably the easiest, you know, no cost advice I could give any budding entrepreneur, small business owner. Um, a lot of times you don't know how to hire. And I've had to learn it the hard way over 20 years, you know, how to interview. And I use, you know, assessments and others. And I've got kind of a routine. But that took me a long time and it was a very expensive lesson to learn. So I'd say that's probably the, the first cheap free advice is, you know, enlist others to help you interview, uh, whether that's an advisory board, whether it's a friend of yours, uh, that's just maybe a little, you know, a, a little different perspective or somebody with a little more methodical approach to, um, understanding personality traits and character. Um, and then maybe the second lesson, which I think is, is equal is efficient use of capital. Um, I've learned that lesson the hard way, whether that's, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, financing rounds or how you invest your own money, um, you know, looking at that through literally like an investment thesis perspective as if a, you know, venture capitalist or, or private equity player might, um, I think if you can have a mature outlook and use tools like that yourself, I think you'll also, uh, you know, skip ahead a couple of years for sure. Oh, I wish I would have interviewed you like 10 years ago <laughs> with these <Yeah>. lessons. <laughs> I was no. still making all the mistakes 10 years ago. Yeah, okay. you know? <laughs> these are hard, hard, hard learned lessons. For oh, sure. sure. Um, oh, yeah, I, I agree 100% with both of those. Learn how to interview. It took me, let's see, I've had my business for 12 years now. And I think about six years in is when I hired someone to teach me how to interview and that was a game changer it totally changed how i bring on new team members and yeah you see red flags a lot faster and and you learn real quickly not just can they get the job done but are they is this candidate going to be a good member for the team? Are they going to get along yeah. with the team? I mean, there's so many different. Yeah, because you know, in, in a, especially a small business, I mean, you know, Torch is growing very fast, but we have less than 100 employees here. And so every person 
um, every person is, uh, uh, critical to that mix. And so, you know, you, you add one person in a, in a department and it radically changes the complexion of that department. So all of their positive traits are amplified and all their negative traits are amplified too. And, uh, it takes some maturity as an organization to kind of see through that. I find myself right now, of all the organizations that I've built over my career, this organization with Torch is probably the most uh, powerful because there's such a great culture. The talent's incredible. But more importantly, just all, every single person here is engaged. Even the ones that know that they're you know, still polishing skills or they're exploring a particular area of the business or whatever, they're, they're just highly engaged. And that's a gift when you find it. You know, I'm sure you're, you're, you've experienced that. It's, it's awesome when it comes together. Yeah. And you, you do whatever you can to keep it that way too then. <laughs> oh yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> don't mess it one. up. Yeah. Yep. Don't breathe on it wrong. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. So the show here is really focused heavily on networking. And my goal is to alleviate any fears that people might have when they hear that word uh, networking. Mm. So Brian, can you share it with our listeners? Uh, one of your most successful or favorite networking experiences that you've had? Yeah, I hate networking. Um, <laughs> and I actually, I think the way most people network is like a complete waste of time. So I think I'm a good, I'm a good candidate to help okay. uh, share some information. So, sure. so I think, uh, your relationships and your reputation are everything, right? So, um, I'm an introvert, which is sort of shocking, but I actually being in a high tech space and, you know, being a bit of an alpha male kind of guy, I, ran, I raced Ironman competitively, you know, and was ranked, you know, very high and all this other stuff in my life. But people would be surprised that the way I recharge and, you know, you know, uh, you know, find my uh, center is like gardening, believe it or not. So, you know, I, I'm, an, I'm a complete introvert. Um, I'm a creative type. I like to, you know, spend, you know, my time being quiet and contemplative. Uh, but at the same time, as an entrepreneur, you've got to pay bills. And sometimes, especially when you're investing in a business or you're getting something going, uh, you know, you're the one responsible for getting, you know, the rocket off the launch pad. And that means you've got to go sell and you've got to go network and you've got to go engage. So I've actually, um, I find that, uh, the way I do it is maybe a little different. I, I don't like going to a networking type events. I've never been one to join a chamber of commerce or another organization. Uh, we invest and I invest privately in, in a bunch of organizations and they have networking events and I don't go to any of them. Um, to me, I think I always approach it that, uh, I am looking for opportunity. Of course, uh, I, have a desperate need to solve a problem. And it's not, it's because I have this insatiable curiosity uh, and desire to kind of complete some things. And so that's just what, one of my character traits. So I'd say, number one, I'm self-aware of what I need as a human being. And believe it or not, I think that that's directly applicable to your success uh, trying to grow market or, or capture market share. I think the more you know who you are and are comfortable in your own skin, um, the easier this whole thing will be because you won't be asking yourself to do something that you're just not naturally inclined to do. I find that some of the folks, for example, at a software engineering company like Torch, where we're doing very advanced you know, things with, with machine learning, um, some of those people would be totally out of water if you asked them to go in and network. And so, but, and that's not necessarily their value or their needs. So I, I, I would bet that you've got a lot of people in your audience that probably need out of necessity. They've, they've got to network, you know, to, to make sure that their business is viable and that they're growing and healthy and able to attract people and recruit and the whole thing. 
So what I, the way I've sort of considered it, um, I kind of like to take an asymmetric approach. I might decide that I have a curiosity around solving a particular problem. And actually I start wrapping that particular problem with people that I think would be very in, interesting to help me either get to uh, someone that could help with that solution, someone that would have money that could fund, uh, you know, a concept like that or buy something. And I like the idea of, of the intellectual exercise of playing a little bit of chess. So if I'm going in, you know, to say a, a, a business in, in New York city, which I'm working on, I won't say the name of the company, but I'm working on somebody now. I, I actually, the, the intellectual exercise that I've enjoyed is thinking about my network as it sits. And you have tools like LinkedIn where you can see how far away, say your connections are to that particular organization. And you can start kind of working the opportunity uh, by gaining little chunks of information and expanding your network uh, with adjacent markets, adjacent uh, networks. Because I think if you think about the world today, it is one big complex network. Most of the time, people are not paying attention to, you know, like literally people that you already know. So you could pick up the phone and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Again, LinkedIn is an example of that, where you've got second and third, you know, level, level connections uh, that if you, if you put a little work in, again, not sending you know, LinkedIn mails, but actually picking up the phone or physically going to see somebody and you start, uh, building your network that way. What I, what I have found is with that general approach, it's not about one particular company, but I gain information that becomes valuable across a particular industry sector. So all of a sudden I might be orienting around a particular business, like in New York, the one I'm speaking of, but what I find is that all of their competitors have the same, you know, desire and they share a lot of that same network. So you can actually land on a node of that network or a particular person that would add some value. And you can then expand across that network using the same theme. And what I try and do is provide value at every one of those interactions. So I think, again, if I would like enumerate this, it would be number one, be aware of who you are and whatever you're going to ask yourself to do, just make sure it's you know in your comfort zone. Number two, pay attention to the network you already have and light that up. And it doesn't mean that you can't go explore into, say, a new uh, area of the world, but you probably already have people in your network today that would lead you there. But you're just, you know, they're, they're unrealized or underutilized, uh, you know, friends of yours. And I think you could take advantage of that. And then the third lesson is, you know, try and impart some value with every interaction. Most of the time, and probably the most prolific networker that I know is this wonderful guy named uh, William Byer. He was a, one of the founders of Deloitte's Federal Practice, and his whole mission in life is just to introduce others to other interesting people. So, you know, uh, he, he's a master at it. He'll have somebody in his network, and what he does is he sets up a meeting between that person and somebody that he wants to meet, um, and he uses that as, like, the tactic. So you can take, you know, a page from that book if you want, but the point is, again, I think tenant number three would be just try and impart some value to that person, whether it's information, which is a little more common, uh, a new relationship, which is super valuable because those people have the same desire and network uh, that you do, uh, or the combination of the two, new solution, new information, something that would help them in their job, and certainly a new connection that they could benefit from. I think if you approach it that way, that's what's worked for me. Um, yeah. and, I, and I find myself, you know, we are one of the you know, most significant players uh, in national security today and in kind of a really fun way. And that was a market that we were not in five years ago. Uh, that was, that was purely networking that got us there. 
I love it. I think that's great. You've got some fantastic insights. And I really like how you opened with um, really focusing on you, the individual first, and being self-aware as far as what is your level of comfort and what you need. But what's really intriguing to me is that you have that curiosity around solving a problem, and then you kind of build your network around that. And that just that, that's fascinating. I really appreciate that. Well, I mean, if you think about it, everybody's trying to sell everybody on something. And that's so boring. I mean, uh, I, I think you can capture hearts and minds and find common ground if you orient around, uh, you know, a problem. Um, and again, I, I, now remember, I, I'm speaking through the, the lens of a business owner. Like, you, you know, your audience, I, as I understand it, that, uh-huh. that most of your listeners are, uh, people like myself. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I think most of the time, um, you know, they might, most people are afraid to kind of put it out there and try and do something kind of big and a little scary and a little risky. But if you do that, I think people respect you for it. Um, you got to back the bet of course, but you know, that's a heck of a lot more fun than just, you know, meeting somebody and asking them to buy something like to me anyway. Yeah. No, that's great. I'm going to ask a fun question here now. So if you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of less of or differently with regards to your professional career? Yeah, I think it would be, don't stress so much. It's easy to say, and I just think I'm wired to, to, to sort of be, um, hyper motivated and, um, you know, sort of uh, driven by fear in part. And I mean, I mean a healthy dose, right? But that's what causes a lot of that stress. I think in my twenties, I had fear of failure. And I think that was a big driver for me. Um, and even in my thirties and even early forties, right? I think it's just a character trait, but I, what I found the, the wisdom that I found, uh, doing this for over two decades and having failures and great successes and the whole bit, um, is that actually the journey is super fun. If you can just be open and relaxed, the, the bad times, and I've had really, really, really tough bad times, but the bad times aren't as bad as you think they are. And you don't realize that and you can't even understand it until you're way past it. And you can kind of reflect on it you're like, eh, that wasn't so bad. And now you're a little more resilient for the future. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to go through that. You know, I don't know. I don't know that you can kind of learn that, but that would be the advice. I don't think I would listen to myself as a 20 year old, but it would be enjoy the journey and, and uh, truly really mean it. Uh, enjoy the journey and, and don't get stressed because it's not as bad as you think, you know, um, yeah. You know, I, I wish I could, I'd probably have, you know, a few less gray hairs if, uh, if I had adopted that kind of uh, uh, attitude and approach. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that's great. Enjoying the journey is definitely a, a vital um, component to pay attention to. It's not, don't always be looking forward. You know, you got to have to be, you have to be in the present to some extent as well. Yes, completely. I, I completely agree. Uh, maybe that is, and, you know, you've got maybe a little more wisdom. I think that's true. Being present and, and, uh, having a perspective almost whatever they describe, like, you know, your shaman or your, you know, your yogi or whatever, <laughs> the idea that you're, you're sort of observing yourself. I've had trouble with that. Uh, I've done it just occasionally and it's very helpful, but, uh, that is something that I've struggled with. I'm just going to throw this totally random question out there, but I found that meditation is really helpful with that. Have you done any of that? I totally have. When uh, Mindspace came on, I, I did that every day. And the problem for me is my brain is like always on and it's, it is a curse. 
Uh, I am a frustrated creative type. Um, I lead a staff of engineers. And if I was the kind of guy that sat by them and, and said, make, make that blue and change this font and make it do this. And I would totally wreck this company. Um, but my brain is on overdrive all the time. And, and, uh, that's my challenge with meditation. And I think what I figured out is how I can slow down and be contemplative is the whole gardening thing. Oh, sure. uh, my world moves so fast. Uh, and we, we, we have very, very, uh, the cool thing about my life now is that I, you know, I have this gift of being able to live my life with purpose and, uh, the, our business has purpose and, and that's, that is so awesome, but it moves so fast that the gardening thing slows me down. And it's sort of the, um, uh, you know, if you, if you get into Buddhism at all, there's, there's kind of an interesting notion of actually meditative walking, you know, mm -hmm. walking with purpose. Sure. And I find myself doing that kind of in my yard and my garden and all that sure. kind of stuff. So anyway, whatever catharsis you need, uh, you know, I find everybody finds it in different spots. Yeah. So I think you're right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. I love everyone needs something. And I, I can see how gardening can be extremely meditative, especially if you keep all technology away from you and <laughs> you just kind yes. of focus on the moment and you know hands in the dirt and whatever it is that you're doing um yeah yeah very nice all right brian any final word or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network no i i think you know the maybe the parting little thought is just be brave and and try and do something big with your life and with your company um, the thing that I've benefited the most, and I I'm enjoying this right now, literally the thing that puts a smile on my face today. Uh, and it's truly a gift and I've never really had it this way before. And this is why I'm so, um, I've got a little bit of pride, but we have purpose. Our company has purpose and, and I can live my life with that purpose. And I think the more you can find that, uh, whether it's a mission for your customer uh, whether it's a mission for your family or whether it's, whether it's just being deliberate about how you live your life. I think, you know, whether that's eating, sleeping, exercising, um, you know, whatever it happens to be, how that manifests itself for you, uh, absolutely try and find it. I did not, I was busy building, uh, in hindsight, I, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed that experience, but, um, just now I'm really enjoying the notion of, um, of, of kind of orienting, orienting around that, that objective. So, you know, again, just be bold, be brave and, and try and live life and run your businesses with purpose. I think it's a, uh, it's a great adventure. That's great. I love it. That's fantastic advice. Brian, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way they can reach you? Well, I've already, you know, said, don't send mail through LinkedIn, but uh, <laughs> anybody that would, that would want to engage, uh, I find that it's actually a pretty good platform. I just don't like the spam stuff, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy uh, helping others. And if there's any wisdom I can share or any way I could help any of your listeners, I'd be happy to. And LinkedIn is the best place. That's great. We will include that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Brian. Thank you, Lori. Appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Great conversation. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Brian Weaver for taking the time to connect with us. If you want to continue the conversation on networking and building your community, join our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com and search Social Capital Network. If you need me, send an email to lori at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. 
Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.